This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week Podcast. I'm in at uh, BBC Worldwide today. My special guest, Jackie Lee Joe. Hi, Jackie. Hey. Chief Marketing Officer, BBC Worldwide. Yep. Soon to change its name. Soon to change its name to BBC Studios, yes. Yes, yeah, okay. We're working on that master brand right now. Oh, really? Yes. So that's one of your big um, chores this year, I guess, is it? One of your one of those additional workloads, yes. Okay. Yeah, but exciting, very exciting. Right. Okay. Now, you're Australian? I am. Yep. You've been out of the country for a while. We have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're both Aussies. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Left around the end of 1999, 2000. Um, came back briefly in 2009, 2010, and then nicked off again. Mm-hmm. What brings you back to Australia this time? Um, so back in to meet with the team over here, spend some time with the marketing team, um, do some broader engagements um, as relates to the business. Um, and we're coming in to talk a little bit around, uh, you know, future direction for franchises, for brands. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Give us a little bit of an overview of your role. What, what sort of things do you, do you look after? So I cover off three, you know, quite broad-ranging divisions. The first one being the global brands division. Um, And we look after a lot of the, both the marketing and the kind of commercial mixes around our key global brands. And they would include Doctor Who, Top Gear, BBC Earth, uh, a lot of our children's brands. Then I have a full end-to-end marketing function. um, And that includes insights. It will include creative includes a lot of our content marketing and trade marketing as well as our consumer marketing. Uh, And then I have a uh, a digital division, and that includes digital marketing. So we run all of our global um, fan channels um, and social channels around the world. And I also have a digital partnerships division where we are looking at new digital strategies um, and new ways of taking our content out on new platforms, including Snap, Tencent, uh, various areas of Google, Facebook, etc. Um, and then I have BBC Worldwide Innovation Labs. So we also run a lot of the new innovation accelerator startup community and a lot of the connections that we have back to BBC R&D. Well, that all sounds uh, pretty exciting. It's a lot that, of fun. That, <laughs> I, I never get to interview enough um, marketing Chief marketing officers really? in these podcasts. No, I mean, when I always do, it's fascinating, you know. So I'm making another note to self to do this more often because there's lots within that I want to ask you about. Look, and if we have time at the end, I'll have a cheeky chat to you about some of your previous roles because you've done some interesting stuff in your background. Yep. But um, marketing, I mean, we hear lots about the changing space in media and the way people are, you know, adapting business models and stuff like that. But when you list that stuff, Chief marketing role, gee whiz, hasn't that hasn't that changed in in your just look at that that time since you left Australia? There's yep. there's real, there's channels and things there which are key to you which didn't even exist back then, right? No, that significantly changed, you know. And I think I think marketing is well placed to straddle a lot of the changes in terms of where content and where platforms are going, and a lot of the disciplines that we bring. You know, even to how we sequence or optimise against different platforms in marketing, they're actually leaning into providing us with insights as to how we might develop out new social TV formats, you know, in the case of new platforms like Facebook. So I think a lot of those uh, disciplines are actually very transferable um, and marketeers can bring a lot of value even to much more traditional content making and, and, you know, what's involved. 
a lot of, well, not a lot, some other media platforms see, you know, digital's really knocked them around and they see Google and Facebook as the big sort of bogeymen and taking their customers and really, you know, making them re-engineer their business. And I'm guessing it's not as bad for, for a broadcaster, perhaps and particularly like the BBC, that's it's really been able to sort of utilise the, the new offerings. Yeah, and I think for certainly my job... Um, and even in my future role where studios and worldwide come together, you know, very much I'm responsible for looking at how we grow the value of our global brands and our global IP. And quite often in markets, we don't have full, you know, distribution cycles. So for, for, for us in those uh, markets like China or in the US, it makes sense for us to, to really figure out where are the most optimal places and platforms to put our IP, and how do we engage with multiple audiences through the year, year on year, in order to kind of grow the value of that IP over time? Hmm. Tell me about now. You've you've addressed. Um, you spoke to a conference here in Sydney. Tell us a little bit about the message you had for them. Uh, so we very much talked about these themes. Um, the core theme of the conference, uh, at least my speech, was you know reaching consumers in a new era of entertainment. And what we talked about was really the traditionally 360 nature of the BBC Earth brand. You know, that is a brand where we have had massive landmark content um, over a very consistent period. And we run essentially a portfolio brand um, under BBC Earth. So that includes channels, you know, across the markets like South Africa, Poland, uh, you know, India, Canada, uh, and so forth. Then we have, uh, you know giant screen and 4D content, which we supply to leading museums around the world, including the Smithsonian or the American Museum of Natural History or the Science Museum in London or even the Shanghai Natural History Museum. So we've always had multiple uh, routes to market. We have educational uh, partnerships with Microsoft Educational Schools. So we actually integrate our content into STEM-related curricula. Um, and then we have book publishing and we pull into even things like touring. So when I'm looking at the new world of uh, digital, I'm thinking about new platforms and new ways in which to engage my audiences and for our storytellers, new ways of being able to tell their stories. So it's a very easy extension then to think about immersive mobile television on Snap or how we build out a digital ecosystem with Tencent, which will include the long form but also minisodes and VR video content uh, and even e-ticketing on WeChat. And when you look at the scale of partners like that and their ability to reach our audiences, you know, the Blue Planet 2 uh, activity alone did 250 million plus views on that platform. It really enables us to kind of get to younger audiences, 50% of those audiences under 29. You know, so we have a lot of opportunities with that level of IP. Um, and we have a point of difference, I think, in natural history. You know, a lot of people are spending a lot of time on super premium drama. One of the few that will spend four years, take teams out to 40 different countries, have 117 filming trips, uh, and really be able to use four years' worth of content in different ways. Tell me that uh, BBC Earth brand, the, the, what do you look for when that launches into a market? So we look at a combination of brand attribution, reach, value and impact objectives. 
we look at it over the entire life cycle. Um, and what we do is a lot of activity through the year to keep BBC Earth communities going, right? Um, so we continually post uh, what our our talent are doing. So if you think about Planet Earth Diaries and Blue Planet 2 Diaries, our talent is just important to the brand as the content itself. So we have 24-7 social channels um, under Earth Unplugged where we continue that story. We have science elements of the BBC Earth um, channel and we have a whole labs uh, concept on YouTube that we post to and then we've got the core channel. And we're continually finding new ways of bringing new audiences in. So when we launched the Blue Planet 2 trailer, we could have just done a standard trailer, but we didn't. We did a four-minute prequel that was simulcast on 75 markets around the world. And instead of just doing our, our normal thing, I guess we did a musical collaboration between Radiohead and Hans Zimmer. And so that brought in new audiences around fashion and music and pop culture and extended out our organic reach it was embedded in things like Vanity Fair and Vox and so forth. And so we're continually finding new ways of kind of bringing audiences in. And I think when you've got a brand as powerful as Blue Planet and the impact on environment and being able to kind of observe our impact and what we need to do about it, it is an active brand. You know, it provokes action. Uh, and that's the brilliance of it. You know, our content has incited, you know, UN conference speeches, you know, with Sir David... Uh, you know, we have had, uh, you know, uh, Theresa May actually give Blue Planet 2 DVD and books over to President Xi in her recent China State visit. You know, we've got a lot of increases in searches around plastics and marine conservation. We've seen increases in charitable, um, you know, environmental um, searches and engagement. You know, it is one of those brands that can kind of provoke action. Sure. We don't have BBC Earth in Australia as a, what do you call it, a channel, a vertical? Well, we, or you, do we? You do on YouTube and Facebook. Or do we? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you, know, we're, you know, we've got um, Blue Planet 2 on Channel 9 at this moment. We've always had big Australian audiences engage with a lot of the activity on those platforms. Um, and in, in this market, we're doing a lot of live events and so forth that sit under the Earth brand, so we can continue to build that over time. So I, so what, what would you see on the YouTube channel? Would that be content that where the other rights holders, it reverts to you, or do you get it? I mean, we're not going to see um, Blue Planet on the YouTube channel, are we? Oh, you see or excerpts of eventually. it. Absolutely, yeah. And they're on the right. YouTube channel already. Okay. Um, you know, there are key sequences in Blue Planet um, that are played out on on our YouTube and Facebook uh, posts. But then you have, um, you know, as we talked about, you have uh, film crews and their stories. They're on the Facebook uh, channel. We have okay. a number of other articles. We have a lot of editorial activity. We post on Facebook, we post up to six to eight times a day. Uh, with these channels. And in terms of Instagram, we bring collaborators in. So about 80% of our Instagram feed is from amateur photographers. You know, mm -hmm. we give out briefs. They respond to those briefs, sometimes around kind of core themes, um, uh, areas of uh, interest around the world. Um, and what we've seen with that, when you bring collaborators in, alongside some of our own natural history photographers, uh, is you see our fastest growing platform at the moment, about a million Instagram followers 
on that platform alone. So we can really do wonderful and rich kind of collaborations with our audiences. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about some of the other um, brands, but, but let's talk first about that, um, the different social media channels, before I forget to ask you that part. Yep. The, um, because you, there's so many on you can utilise, isn't there? Um, tell me what are your, maybe your most recent success stories where you, you're really getting some traction and, are there, again, are there some that maybe aren't as um, uppermost in your mind as they used to be? So I think for Planet Earth 2, we had some great traction with Snap. Uh, you know, we put uh, original Snap shows out um, around uh, blue, uh, Planet Earth. We had outtakes from four years of content capture and we were able to tell different stories. And we engaged a 16 to 24-year-old audience, about 74% of our 13.5 million views on Snap uh, were under the age of 24. Right. Brilliant. And, you know, topped and tailed BBC America. So it drove younger audiences uh, to BBC America and vice versa, which was, um, you know, brilliant. For us, it was important because it, you know, it kind of brought Planet Earth, the brand, to those audiences, you know, audiences that were possibly not even born when Planet Earth 1 first hit linear TV. So that's been really successful. We also, you know, have core audiences around educators, families and students. So... You know, we've just layered our content onto the uh, Google Earth 3D platform. So we worked with the product teams uh, in Mountain View and across 30 def different destinations and six habitats, you can now explore our content across the globe. That, in reach terms, about 100 million uh, wow. in the next calendar year. And that enables us to reach, you know, whole new regions and, in fact, audiences that have never seen BBC Earth storytelling before. I think what we've been doing lately uh, in terms of Oculus, uh, we did three VR video immersive experiences and we've just literally about a week and a half ago launched our first CGI VR uh, documentary format on Google Daydream. So that enables you to use a controller with your phone to explore whole new connected ecosystems. Uh, you know, in California, Monterey Base, you start with the sea otters and you might end up with the sperm whales. So there's so much you can do in terms of dynamically engaging new audiences. And I think all of those um, have enabled us to learn more about those new product and content experiences and continue to hone it over time. Can I just ask you about that uh, VR? What sort of numbers are you getting there? Are they we literally could, just started? That's what I mean. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do, can you see some real? Because it it seems. I mean, I've been a little bit cynical about how big a deal it's going to be for the average, I don't know, consumer. But for something like BBC Earth, it, it could work really well. I'm guessing. It could, and I think what it's it's doing is it's finding us new ways of exploring with interactive learning. Um, Pixel phone. We're going as far as a Pixel phone can go. And I think the brilliance of being, um, you know, very much in partnership with Google is that we're forging this new market together and we're both learning along the way. Um, and there's real value in kind of, um, you know, being at the forefront of kind of trying to define that market, you know, what it looks like, who they are really, how you can create product on a spectrum, you know, which might start with minimal interactivity or minimal immersion and kind of pull through to a, a wholly rich, immersive and interactive experience. I think all of those spectrums of content experience we're, we're going to be exploring and, and testing and learning with. You must be a driver of big audiences to Facebook, Enormous. <laughs> do your, from you or your team, are there, 
have you been sort of on the inside, being kept up to speed what Facebook are going through, or do you sort of tend to find out when everybody else does when they change? Um, I, I think we all kind of have to weather the algorithmic storms, um, <laughs> as they are. Um, but we have great relationships with, with Facebook, you know, both as a publisher um, and a news provider, um, as well as, um, you know, a set of brands that have real audience bases. Um, and so, you know, across the BBC, we have very uh, solid um, and very in-depth relationships with Facebook. And I think we've trialled a lot of new things. You know, we've been some of the early trialists of, of Facebook Messenger. We've done a lot of interesting things with Facebook Live. You know, when we introduced Planet Earth 2 and the fact that Hans Zimmer was a composer for the series, we could have done the normal PR announcement, but we did it on Facebook Live. And we had a million people to the first ever rehearsal of that, you know, of that soundtrack. So there are plenty of ways in which we can and are continuing to explore with Facebook. Sure. Um, do you use Twitter much? I mean, there was they seem to go through a bit of a lull. That there's a bit of vibrancy back around the place. Yes. Nothing like making a profit, you know, <laughs> that to, to, to help uh, motivate people. So, are yep. you picking that up? That's a... we do. I mean, we've always had a great relationship with Twitter, and I think Twitter and television have a great relationship. You know, and you know when you've got younger audiences who, you know, for a lot of their time, watch multiple screens. Twitter is kind of one of the perfect accompaniments to live TV that there is really as a platform. So we do a lot of work with Twitter. Um, we certainly see it, uh, you know, come into its own when we're in the middle of, you know, Top Gear launches and so forth. Uh, and they're invaluable. I think they're a unique mix, actually, a unique partner in that space. Yes, yeah. Um, and just a policy regarding... Um posting content, do you try and tailor different messages for every platform or there sometimes you send out the same thing and just go, look, let's just get this all out wherever we can? No, my teams are really good at adapting for different platforms and understanding the audiences on those different platforms. It's really important that you that you know who those audiences are, that you know how they're consuming that content even before you make it. Um, and so my teams know how to, to uh, you know, deal with those audiences slightly differently. Where we have got a similar asset, we will know to adapt it. So if we're putting it on a really brutal news feed, social feed, we will do three-second grabs before we put you into a more immersive experience. So we do optimise for that. We also use it for retargeting. So when we use the recent kind of Top Gear launch ad, which is called the Milk Run, so it's all about, you know... Um, Matt and Chris and Rory going out uh, to find milk, going past all sorts of sequences and ending up in a farm somewhere to get the milk for themselves. We had the stig at the beginning of that sequence. So what happens to the stig? What happens whilst the boys are away? Well, stig gets up to a hell of a lot. And so we used split screen. We showed what happened to the, what was going on with the stiggers the same time as the other three were going on the milk run. And we posted that on channel and we retargeted those people that were engaged with the first um, trailer. So we've got all sorts of ways of being able to optimise and to kind of bring audiences back in for more bites of the cherry. Let me ask you about some of your brands. You mentioned Top Gear a couple of times. I've got to ask you about that. I'm a long-term uh, Top Gear fan. Oh, are you? Yeah, Great. absolutely. And I... I like the most recent incarnation. Yep, series 24. I thought they really nailed it, you know. I they just, are. Well, you... And it's 
It's almost, I mean, I'm sure I've got big audiences, but to me it seems a little bit of a secret because I think a lot of people might have yep. given up on the brand. And yep. I say to anybody, look, just go back and watch one yep. episode. Yep. Just go and have a look, a sample yep. it, you know. And we, we've seen that, you know. There was a f- massive outcry mm. when Clarkson and Hammond and May left and, you know, it was very difficult to engage communities that were very negative. It's been a, a, for that brand in particular, we've had a long uh, journey back. But, you know, once you once you seed some of the clips, even from Series 23, some of the Ken Block stuff from Series 23, you put that back into uh, YouTube platforms and so forth, and suddenly you've got the engagement levels back up. Okay. Um, and so we're shifting that perception um, across media outlets and, and across social. And, in fact, only on Sunday we TX'd in the UK, and we've got great great support socially and fantastic support in terms of PR as well. I think you'll enjoy Series 25. It's even more fun. They've got some wonderful features. They, they go off to Japan. We've got a full um, season um, um, episode on Japan and Japanese car culture. And I think the brilliance of 24 into 25, you know, is that our series producer is so brilliant at bringing car themes back into any of the narrative. You know, there's always a reason why they're there or they're doing that particular challenge. And there's a real integrity to how we put that, those programs together, and I think you'll see it through in the next series. Yeah, I mean, I really loved... You almost seemed to sort of um, enrich the program with some yeah. of those trademark production qualities just seem even better at the moment, I think, on, yeah. the, on the show. Yeah. Whereas before it was a mix of celebrity and um yeah. and motor car and production celebrity step back a bit which for me i quite enjoy you know yeah and i think we're engaging you know i think chris harris brings a certain level mm. of uh younger audience um and certain level of car credibility and i think matt brings in more of an entertainment dimension but you know the thing about matt is he can take a car apart and put it back together <laughs> again he has really good yes. mechanical skills, right? Sure. Um, and so that combination in the casting, I think, has worked a treat. Doctor Who, is it, is it probably the one... Is that the one thing most people would associate with the BBC almost, Doctor Who? You mean um, talking I, I, globally? Yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, I grew up here in the 70s with the fourth <laughs> Doctor into the fifth Doctor, right? And... Um, um, and many generations, I think, have done that as well. And the multi-generational viewing of Doctor Who is, you know, is really wonderful. Uh, and I think we've got, with Jodie Whittaker, a really exciting new Doctor um, all lined up. So we really, really just can't wait to get it out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll sort of wrap this up with a few things. The, when you're sort of planning ahead... I mean, don't tell us what you shouldn't, but how, how, how far out is the roadmap? You know, two, three, more years? Mm-hmm. So for some, up to 10 years. Really? Yeah. Wow. For some, up to 10 years. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to like a, you know, I, in, in real planning terms, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is test and learn, though. You know, our, all of our partnership activity, Snap, Skype, what we've been doing recently with adventure bot games with Doctor Who, all those things have very much been uh, on the fly and because opportunities have come and we've gone to grab them, we've gone to find new uh, innovation. But I think when we're talking about bigger content ecosystems and bigger life cycles and bigger narrative strategies, we kind of need to, to have a, a longer-term view and we like to play that mix up. 
Yeah, so you've got to be agile and you do. ready you to adapt. You have to do it all. Yeah, because yeah, there'll be platforms in three years that aren't that's around right. now and that's who knows right. what will be happening in ten, right? That's right, and there's, that's the fun of the job, of course, is mm. that you've got that notion of kind of brand planning and the discipline of that, but on the other side you've got digital and you can really wreak havoc, I think, and yeah. upset the balance of things. Yeah. Um, and it's for us to adapt over time very quickly. Okay, look, just indulge me for a second. A couple of things from your background I'd love to ask you about. ANSAT Airlines. Yep. There's a lot of love here for ANSAT Airlines. ANSAT. Even I for know. people who haven't travelled on it or have only heard about it because Qantas became so dominant for a while and you yep. just they used to be able to really dictate and at least people think back to the, was it TAA and ANSAT? Yep. The sort of two airlines. Now Virgin's yep. sort of taken that position a little bit. But yep. it's... Um, yeah, I miss, I miss ANSET. You know, it was... When I came in, I came in in 1995 on the graduate program and ANSET was still number one domestic, wow. you know. Uh, Australian was second and this is before the amalgamation and this is before the float. Those, those two things um, changed the whole, the whole balance of things. But ANSET's product was brilliant. The Golden Wing lounges were amazing. The original international products to Hong Kong and Japan were just fabulous and so award-winning, you know. And I have a real soft spot. The, the worst bit for me, because I, I moved off to New York, was to come back in 2002, I think, after they'd stopped and started and then stopped again, to see all of those planes grounded in the terminal. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's not what you want to see in a in a terminal you expect it to be all busyness and to see those planes um there on the tarmac it was a really sad really sad kind of coming home moment for me yeah i think it was very hard for the passengers to get their head around yeah. too wasn't it there was you a know, lot like of loyalty to mm. answer and love for it yes um and of course it was a, an old airline it'd been around for a very long time and it had a very big victorian base as well so it was very hard i think um in victoria yeah, I think there's, that, well there's that ANSET, um, is it up in Hamilton in country Victoria somewhere? Yeah. They've got a little ANSET museum. Yep, so I, yep. I got That's to go there last year. Started. I had a quick Did you? Yeah. Are you an aviation buff too? Oh, I've got to have my moments. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was great to see some it's of that It's an impressive stuff. operation, Airlines. You know, I like, yeah. you know, services brands, so complex. Um, yeah, I loved my time. Sure, sure. And then just quickly too, you, then you worked in... Um, Sort of a mobile phone business, you know? Yep. So I, um, I did a very brief uh, dot-com boom and bust uh, <laughs> in New York. Bust. Uh, and then flipped over to London to join Orange okay. um, and the start of the mobile revolution. Started first in Europe, then went to the world. Um, yeah, I launched the first smartphones in, uh, in Europe, Microsoft, wow. in 2002. And then when I flipped over to Carphone, I, uh, I launched the first iPhone, iPhone 1, uh, in 2007. Mm -hmm. um, and in the meantime, kind of helped work on a lot of the original propositions around mobile, people, time, places, payment. It, you know, that today, the realisation of it, really powerful. Um, and it was fun to be there at the beginning. Did it go in any directions you never sort of imagined back when you were in it? I think we, we had always, you know, under people, time, places, payment, we always knew the... Um, power of it we couldn't quite realize it in those early days but you know everything from shazam through to gaming all of that started you know as early as you know 2001 2002 it's you know it's amazing to see how far it's gone um and how far it's gone in terms of things like payment 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it's such a powerful new wave. Sure. Um, very exciting. And then I flipped it over the top, of course. So then I flipped to Skype. Um, you know, there again, original peer-to-peer collaborative technology before an Uber or an Airbnb. Um, totally empowering. And its, its core values were universal, useful, and wonderful. Wonderful set of brand values. Um, and it was all about doing things together whenever you're apart, and that just had a total, um, you know, wave of liberation about it and change. Yeah. I think the... I um, mean, it's still a, still a successful business, I think, but I think the iPhones probably... Change their, uh, their model. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you iOS or um, Android? iOS. Or you carry both? iOS, huh? two okay. of them okay. um, right now. Two iOS. I know, okay. yeah. My husband's Android. Is he? <laughs> yes. Okay. Right. So, so you, can, you can check your apps are working on both. Uh, we do. I mean, I do a lot of work with Google, so I spend yeah. a lot of time on the uh, on the Android sure. end of it too. Look, great talking to you. Just leave us with something. Um, this year, 2018, what should we look out for in terms of BBC content? What's going to be big, maybe mid-year, back half of the year, what, what things should we look out for? So on the naturalistic slate, we have totally new um, concepts and new ways of telling stories again. Mm-hmm. We've got Serengeti, which looks amazing. Uh, John Downer and uh, Simon Fuller are bringing that. And I think when you're looking at, um, you know, how we're going to be able to capture that content, the fact that we've got more cameras on the action than ever before, it will feel more like a drama. Very interesting. Dynasty is the other one that we're looking at right now, and it follows, over a four-year period, the ins and outs of, you know, a chimp family. And it's like the Game of Thrones. It's, like, (laughs) totally Shakespearean. Um, And you've got some wonderful different characters. You've got Charm, the lone defender. Um, You've got David, the exiled king. You know, we've got some fabulous stories, darker stories, but fabulous stories to go into. On the drama slate, we've got Idris Elba coming back. We just had him at Showcase last week. So Luther, Series 5, is going to be back, and I think it's going to be massively interesting uh, to see where he goes next. It's a very short run, aren't they, Luther? Very short run, yep, very short run. Um, But that's brilliant, and you never know when they're going to hit. Also brilliant. Um, And he has been crazy busy lately so it's wonderful that he loves and cares so much for Luther the character that he'll come back and do it time and time again Um, and then also I think the split would be very interesting that is Jane Featherston's um, sister productions Nicola Walker's in it it's actually based on a family of female um, family lawyers yeah, I've seen the um, one of the images. Yeah, it looks great. Set in London, mm. um, which I had no idea, but London is actually the divorce capital of the world. <laughs> Who knew? Well, um, it's probably so... got a bit of competition, though. <laughs> I don't know. Couldn't believe it when I heard it. Um, oh. But lots of layers in that drama, for yeah. sure. Yeah, fantastic. All right, uh, Jackie, many thanks for uh, talking to us. We might catch up again one day. Thank you very much.